Okay, thank you very much, Dave. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Hugh and I'm alcoholic. And uh, great to see some big turnout here, see? And it's good to be here. I'm very grateful, recovered alcoholic. You know, I'm so happy to be sober. It's a great, great gift, you know, and it means an awful lot to me, like, you know. And these days, like, it's, it's the simple things that matter most, you know, getting up out of bed in the morning, have a nice clean bed, you know, dry and, and, I'm not frightened of anything. Do you know what I mean? I'm not frightened. I don't care about anything. I just get up and I get get up, get into the kitchen, and make myself a nice big cup of coffee, strongest. And then I sit down, drink that, and plan out what I'm going to do. Have a shower and a shave. All these things I couldn't do. Do you know what I mean? I got a face of breakfast. I can I can do all these things. And it's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. And then I can go out, I can go shopping, I can cross roads, I can use the underground, I can use buses, I can use trains, you know what I mean? I can do anything I like, I can cross bridges. All them things I couldn't do because my nerves were shattered completely, you know, when I stopped drinking. And it's been a hell of a journey. It's great today, you know, it's the simple things like this that matter so much, you know, the freedom, the absolute freedom I had, you know, I don't drive, you know. I wasn't very successful at that either, like, so. Um, I get around and it's, it's, I, I love having the independence of getting around like that. So I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a freedom pass now, so I'll get around free on all the transport. Uh, I'll take it back a little bit first. Um, I, was born, I was born in Dublin and uh, I was born in, uh, oh, this is probably, uh, just had a losing the, the plot there anyway. But anyway, we were four kids were born drum condra. I lost it, sorry about that. They were born drum condra. Four of us were born in the one bedroom room, the one bedroom flat. My mother had, had the four of us there because she had to have four children to get a council house, a corporation house, as it's called over there. And uh, so I had to knock out four as quickly as possible to get a house. And we were all born in this one bedroom flat and they were renting. And then, uh, we moved from there and both my parents were alcoholic, you know, and they're very heavy drinkers and very violent people. Like, and uh, a lot of the uh, violence was during the week. And on the weekend, like, they used to be much better, like, when they had the takeaways from the pub and that, and they'd um, be all in great form. And there'd be plenty of kissing and hugging and all the rest of kids. We used to get up to recite poems or sing songs for them out of bed. Used to bring a used to bring a load of people back from the pub, you know. And uh, I used to always admire the way drink worked for them, you know. And I always just wanted to be like watching men in pubs and things like that, you know, a man standing there with a pint in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And I, I really, really wanted to be like that myself, you know. Um, it was, it was the only ambition I really seemed to have, you know, in them days, because I seen how happy people were with drink taken, you know. And then, of course, we started, in our early teens, we started drinking ourselves, me and the mates and things. We used to um, rob scrap, mostly, to get money. We used to break into um, derelict houses, do you know what I mean, uh, factories and stuff like that, and rob all the copper and brass, aluminium and lead, and then sell it to the scrapyard and get a few bob. Then we buy some cider and a bottle of VP usually, 
and we used to mix them together, you know. Then we'd bait the shit out of each other, or we'd be laughing and crying, you know what I mean? We wouldn't know where we were going. But we, it was it was something else, but it was, there was a hit there. There was something in it, you know what I mean? And something I, I always looked forward to doing. And then, then to get away from home, I was 17, like a, four months, I was 17 and four months. It was August in uh, 1969. I couldn't wait till I was 18. There was another eight months to go before I could actually leave home. I couldn't, I couldn't hang on with them another eight months because it was either the father was going to kill me or I was going to kill him. I think it was, I think he was the one that was going to come out on top. So I, I joined the Irish Army, basically to get away from home. You know, there's any real heroics involved there at all. And uh, the drinking took off when I was in there. I was already a reasonably decent drinker, well, decent, decent, I could hold a few, you know. And uh, I said it was amongst a lot of recruits from all over Ireland. Most of them did, couldn't really drink at all. I felt superior in that sense that I could drink more than the rest of them. I got into an awful lot of fights there as well, and uh, things went, you know, pretty bad a lot of the time. And uh, I ended up getting into a fight when I was up in Dundalk, and I came out, I, I came out of the fight second, and uh, I got taken to Loud County Hospital for the usual stitches and stuff. And from there, I was transferred to Dublin to the Army Hospital, St. Brickens, there, off the Keys. And uh, class as an alcoholic, I was made to go to an AA meeting. And they took me in the Land Rover to St. Patrick's Hospital in Dublin. It used to be there besides Stevenson's. It's still there now, the hospital. And um, I went in the meeting because they were watching me from the Land Rover. So I went in and uh, it was just, there was no women there at all. There was a bunch of old men sitting around. But to me, they were old. Because I was only 19 and they all looked ancient, you know, and they're sitting around there smoking and, and moaning out them. And I thought, what in the name of Jesus am I doing here, you know? But anyway, as soon as the Land Rover was gone, I walked out, you know, and went for a few points. And that was basically like the army were glad to see the back of me. Like I was in and out of trouble. I was locked up a lot of times and I was in there. I was always getting into fights and things and that, you know. But, um, I got out of it and I came straight over to London in 72 and the intention was to stay here for about six months or a year and move on to America or Australia you know I'm still here I'll be 49 years here in July <laughs> but I love London you know I do love it you know it's a, it, it, Ireland is my nation and the Dublin man I'll always be a Dublin man but this is me home you know what I mean I've settled here and I'm happy here very very happy here and um, I've been through quite a lot, like ups and downs, you know. But uh, the drinking took off, like, big time. Then over here, I got into the pub trade, you know. And uh, I was gargling all the time. Any, ch any chance I got, you know, I, mean, I was drinking. And, uh, I was working between buildings and factories, offices and pubs. I got into the pub trade. I got it, went from barman to head barman. Then I'd, I'd done the training with a couple of different breweries. Um, and got me on pubs. And I lost them as a result of the drinking. Do you know what I mean? I, I hit a customer one day accidentally and that lost me the pub. Like, you know, he said, 
the thing was he was a half point drinker. Him and his mate, they were half point drinkers. I hated half point drinkers, you know. And the two of them were sitting there in the pub and they used to come in every day, half past two. And they'd order two halves a bitter. And then they'd make that last and right up till three o'clock and then call the other half. And they'd be the last ones out of the pub, you know. I couldn't stand the sight of them. I like people to be proper drinkers. And uh, one day there, there I, was, I was drinking with the Johnny Walker rep and I was drinking a lot of whiskey. And I, was, I, was, I was well cut by the time they came in. And uh, for a crack, I, there, was a, there was a New York police baton behind the bar on the wall, an ornament. And uh, I took it down and I, I pushed the hand of the clock up just past uh, three o'clock so they couldn't get a second drink, you know. And they, they, they had a go at the barmaid and then I, I told them. And then what I did is I, I lashed the, the um, police baton down. I wanted to hit the counter between the two of them and give them a fright. I hit, I hit a man on the head. That's how drunk I was, you know. And then to cover myself, I would call the police. Because the whole pub started, I don't know how that happened, but the whole pub started fighting. So I called the police, like, to cover my own back. And when the police came, like, most of them are gone. And the only one they arrested was me, you know. So that, was, that cost me the pub. You know, another one I cost because I kept disappearing all the time. Do you know what I mean? It was not... You know, it caused a fire in another place up in Golders Green. It was all, all, all the time I was drinking. I was getting to an awful lot of fights, you know what I mean? And getting arrested an awful lot of the time. And most of, most of the, the arrests at the start were all grand, you know what I mean? Just drunk, drunken, bizarrely um, nuisance, you know, urinating in the public place. All the silly little ones, you know. But then start getting soft mattresses, you know what I mean? Start getting... Um, into trouble like for hitting out at the cops and things and uh, being done for assault and stuff like that and then start getting time you know and like getting a few months here and a few months there and it, in the end like I've done about three years in prison you know on and off over the years and then like well, I was married I, I, I ruined that like the first I've been married four times the first, I ruined the first one though to um through the drinking and uh, I was in and out of the um, mental hospitals, you know, and tried to get help for it. Uh, every time I come out again, I drank, you know, the, the last time I was in there, I was in, I was in the lockup ward. I was so far gone. I was in there for five months, you know, and the week I was getting out, one of the nurses put a note on my bed, AA, we'll be here tonight at eight o'clock in the OT room, um, occupational therapy room, makes you go over. And I thought, all right. And I thought they were coming down to see me. So I thought, well, all right, the least I can do is go and have a chat with them. So I went over to this meet them, met loads of lovely people, you know what I mean? They're all very nice and friendly to me. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, if the drinking ever gets too bad, I definitely go to AA. And this is me in the fucking madhouse for five months, do you know what I mean? Um, and wanting to stay there, not wanting to go home. I was a married mom with two kids, and I wanted to stay in the madhouse because I felt safer. Because I knew when I got out, I'd drink. And that's exactly what did happen. It was the usual old story. Like, I got out and I went over to the, for the game of pool that night. There was a pool match on. 
and I went over for it. And uh, I didn't fully intended drinking some soft drink, a Coca-Cola or something like that. And when I got uh, like more or less there, I thought, well, if I have four pints of uh, black label, I mean, it's, it's hardly even alcohol, you know, it's only shite. I wouldn't think that would do me any harm. And then when I was waiting to get served, I, I, I thought, well, you might as well have four pints of Holstein because it's only, it's only two pints more. And at least if you have four pints of that, you won't want any more after that. And by the end of the night, I was steaming, you know, and uh, I was full of whiskey and everything else. And I, I was arguing and the governor put me out with him and his barn and put me out of the pub. I went home into bed with the wife and wet the bed, you know, and that was it for her. Like she thought, Jesus, Mary, and I was in Joseph. I have to be visiting and taking the kids up to see him all the time in a nut house for five months. He's only a few hours out of it, and here he is pissed again, and the bed is wet, you know. And uh, so she was gone. And when she was gone, I stopped. I stopped the drinking after a while to try and get her back. That was the only reason. And I didn't want to go into the madhouse again. And so I decided I'd do it at home on my own. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Do you know what I mean? I went down from 14 stone down to nine stone. I hadn't, I hadn't got the ability to leave the house to get stuff. You know, I used to, the only times I did risk it, like a couple of mornings, because there was a, an Indian shop across the main road. And they'd be open at six o'clock. And uh, the only reason I knew that because I used to get beer there one time. So I used to go across there like occasionally just to get milk and stuff like that. But I wasn't getting any solids down here. Like that. I was in a terrible, terrible way, you know, I was frightened to death, you know, and any move, even the curtain blowing, you know, I jumped, you know what I mean? I think there was people there and I could hear the kids, like she was gone with the kids. I could hear the kids upstairs, you know. I'd be going up looking in the wardrobes and under the bed and all that. And uh, if I put the radio or the, or the music or the telly on, I could hear them. I could hear the kids in the background. So I, hadn't, I couldn't put them on. I could also hear other voices coming out of it as well. I was very, very confused. You know, I was in a very, very, very bad way, you know. Eventually, anyway, I got the courage to get up and get out and go to a meeting. And the one that I was at in the Springfield, I went back to that again. And I went in and I explained to a couple of blokes that were there because I got there and read it right early. And they understood. You know what I mean? That's amazing. They understood everything I told them. And they were nodding and agreeing with me and all the rest. And they more or less took me under their wing and helped me out. You know, one of them was Mick Devan. He was a great, great man. And uh, then I got well, well, physically I got well quick. Do you know what I mean? I don't know mentally. I'm still up for grabs today. But I did really like sort of pick up well, you know, and everything sort of seemed an awful lot better. I got involved in a lot of service and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And um, I had no belief when I went in and I was I was trying to fake it to make it, like with Mick Devan. He used to take me out to his, he had a caravan out in the park somewhere and he used to take me out there and make me a bit of grub and all that. And then he'd want me to say a prayer with him on my knees. I used to join Nimrim all right because he was such a lovely man. Do you know what I mean? And uh, but I didn't, I, I, I couldn't get my head around that believing business, you know. And anyway, I read, I, I, 
I, I got very well. I built up a great relationship with my ex-wife. I'm still friends today, thankfully, you know, and um, <clears throat> the two kids. And we went on a lot of holidays, you know. I took them, I took them all around Ireland. And I took them to France and I, uh, Turkey and America. I took them to Disney World for a couple of weeks. All great stuff, do you know what I mean? And that was all through not being, not drinking, do you know what I mean? I was able to do these things. I got myself sorted out. And uh, it went wonderfully well for 13 years I was around. And then I got into a relationship with another woman. And it was I was obsessed with her, you know, and, and she was completely off the head, but I didn't even look into that side of it, do you know what I mean? And uh, she was as mad as myself, like, and the, the relationship, was, that's the way the relationship went. And I cut down, you know, I'd go to the odd meeting here and there, and then I, I wasn't going at all. <coughs> Excuse me. I didn't think, you know, I thought I'd get back, you know, something. But anyway, that relationship ended after, I think, about eight or nine months. And I didn't go back then, you know. And then a friend of mine, uh, Swansea bloke, he, he, he was in a very, he, he split with his wife. He'd been married for over 20 years and he was splitting with his wife. And I bumped into him in the street and he was suicidal, you know. I said, I'm, I, I can't go on here. And I said to him, look, come and stay with me for a while. I'll help you out, you know. Now, I didn't realise how vulnerable I was myself and, and what I had to offer, but very little, really, you know. But I had him in the house there and I was feeding him and go, people pleasing, really. I was going everywhere he wanted to go. And that was a pub every night, you know. And uh, we were in the West End one night anyway, and I was sitting there. And we'd been in there, Jay's the best part of two hours. And he'd only the head gone off the point. Do you know what I mean? And his, and his own head bent forward, like. And I was cracking jokes and trenders. And, jeez, I wanted to kill him, you know. But then these two women came in and sat facing us. Good-looking women, lovely-looking. And they were laughing and joking and everything else, you know. And I just looked at him. I looked at them, and then I walked up and got myself a large whiskey. I hadn't had a drink for 13 years and two months. I didn't realise how vulnerable I was myself. I really didn't. And it didn't. It, uh, it, there was no talk process, do you know what I mean? I just went and done it, you know? Um, and it was my own fault. I don't like look for any excuses or something like that, like a, why this happened or why. I did know better, you know? But anyway, that was me back on it then. And it took me three years on and off it before I actually fully came back. And it was very, very hard to do that. It wasn't like the, the previous time. I didn't drink the way the same way. I didn't get any trouble around like that. Most of the drink was done at home. And uh, I'd be on it like for about a week. Then I'd be off it for a few months, you know, but I couldn't get myself to AA. And then next minute I'd seen, find myself just sitting on a bar stool again. Do you know what I mean? And I'd always say the same thing to myself. I hope it's not as bad as it was the last time. You know, that's the truth, you know. And of course it was bad, you know, it was terrible. Anyway. In the end, I couldn't get it down me. I couldn't get the drink to, to stay down. It wouldn't go. It wouldn't go past me chest. You know what I mean? It was go. It was just stuck in me neck or something. I don't know what was happening, but it wouldn't go down properly. It took ages to get drink down me. I was neither drunk nor sober. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know where I was, and I was quite suicidal myself then. I was just, I didn't know what, where to go from here. And of course, I knew deep down inside myself, if I could get back to AA, 
I'd have a chance, you know. And I finally got up the courage to go to a meeting. And I went to this meeting over in Fulham. I got there early, you know, I didn't want to go in with a room full of people. So, I, but I couldn't go in, I, I kept walking around the block, you know, I couldn't go in the house. And uh, I thought, well, they, they say to me, well, if anybody has a go at me, you know. Then I made a decision, I thought, right, I'll walk into the meeting, if anybody says anything to me, I'll just fucking knock them out, knock them down, bathroom, and walk out. Now, of course, that was never going to happen. Do you know what I mean? It was all in my head. And I walked in there, everybody made me really, really welcome and looked after me very, very well, you know? And there was a bloke, a tube driver, Jim, his name was, he was really, really kind, you know what I mean? He said, yeah, all right, good money, and I did all this looking at me, his arm around me, dropped me home, this car and all the rest. And then I started again, I started going. And I hated the meetings when I started going again. I hated everybody in them. I used to be sitting there and looking at people. I'd see somebody, say Dave there was going to go up and do the chair. I'd think, oh, Jesus, this has got to be boring. And yet I'd never seen before in my life, you know? I, that, that sort of attitude, you know, and I had this terrible hatred for people. I, didn't know, I don't know why or where it's coming from. And uh, anyway, a little bit along the line, Tube driver Jim turned around and he says to me one day, Jesus, you, you've got a lot of colour in your face now. You said you're starting to put the old weight back on. You're looking an awful lot better, you know. And that was, I never, it never dawned on me that I was getting well, do you know what I mean? And then, but that also gave me an awful lot of hope, you know. And since then, I've been going on a regular basis. Like, and I have done very, very well out of it, do you know what I mean? I'm 20, coming up 22 years back. And it's wonderful, do you know what I mean? It's really wonderful. And I just, look, no two of us are the same. Do you know what I mean? I just put all that behind me, you know? Um, it's what happened to me. It doesn't have to happen to you. It did, you know, there's no two of us. We're all different people, do you know what I mean? And another thing is, you're, you're either, if you're not drinking, you're sober. You know, I have absolutely no time for anybody to run around saying this dry drunk. There's no such thing as a dry drunk. You're either drunk or you're sober. You know what I mean? If you haven't had a drink today, you're sober. End of story. There's no ifs or buts about that. And that nobody has any right to, to decide what level of sobriety you're at. Do you know what I mean? There's people that they, they, these people kill people by talking like that. You know? There's, uh, what about if somebody has a learning difficulty or special needs or something like that? They're going to, they're going to be still making mistakes like 15 years off the drink. They're still saying things that are, you know, a little bit peculiar sense, I suppose. They're not dry drunks. They don't, I mean, they're sober people. Everybody that's not drinking is sober. How well any of us is another, a totally different matter. Do you know what I mean? It's, but that nobody has a right to judge anybody else in AA. Mick the band used to say to me, he said, there's, there's nobody in that room better than you, and there's nobody in that room worse than you. He said, we're all AA. He said, it doesn't, doesn't matter about anything else when you're in that room. He said, we're all trying to stay off the drink one day at a time. And that's all that matters, you know. And he was right, you know, of course he was right, you know. And that's the way it is. And it's great today. Like, it really honestly is. I love it, you know. AA has been very good to me. You know, it is me. The meetings are me higher power. Me are a power greater than myself. Do you know what I mean? These people that have got me this far, you know. And it's great. And I hope some anybody that's new around, just keep getting to the meetings. Just keep going to your meetings. Get yourself through the day. 
get your head on the pillow without picking up that fourth drink, you'll be all right. You know what I mean? You only have to stay off it for today. And when if you wake up tomorrow, then you can deal with tomorrow. But don't deal with tomorrow today. You know? So thank you very much for listening to me. I hope that was all right.